we will start our service. Uh, we will begin with a little time of reflection to where we can make sure that we're in relation, good relationship with our Lord. Uh, so we will pause a little silent prayer, and then I'll open the, the service with prayer. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are the sovereign God of this universe. You created all things. You created the heavens, the earth, the seas, and everything that is within them, Father. And you are worthy of all worship. And so, Father, we come to, to you today. We assemble for the purpose of worshiping you, Father. We offer to you our songs, our prayers, <clears throat> and our attention to the teaching of the Word of God. And, Father, we thank you that you've provided us with Dr. House to teach us uh, through the scriptures this morning, Father. And we pray for concentration and clarity uh, throughout our, our class. We also keep in prayer, Father, the nation of Israel who are battling for their existence. Father, we pray as they have launched uh, the ground invasion in Gaza now that you will be with them, that you will give the commanders wisdom as they execute this battle plan and father we pray that they will not um, fall prey to all the the uh, pressure from outside sources to stop uh, uh, fighting this enemy and we pray that they will completely eliminate this enemy and uh, we also pray for our friends and and uh, believers in the Ukraine that are still fighting that war we pray that you will be with them and protect them uh, throughout that battle. And Father, we now thank you for the time that we can be together with you and worship you. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. Uh, first hymn this morning will be A Mighty Fortress is Our God. It's number 26 in your hymnal. Please stand.
I'm going to read from one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Psalm 1. How blessed is a man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of Yahweh, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in this this judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. We'll continue with our second hymn, The God of Abram Praised, number 34. Please stand.
service is dedicated to giving of, of our offering, so let's bow in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have supported our local church here for almost 20 years now, and we just uh, thank you for the opportunity to worship you through the giving up of our offerings and expressing our gratitude in this, in this way. And we ask uh, that you would bless these gifts to the glory and honor of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you again today. Uh, We had a great time the last Tuesday and Thursday night where I've been tackling some various archaeological things, which some say they really like, and I enjoy it myself very much. Uh, I had thought about doing it this morning, uh, but I decided to do a normal kind of sermon and uh, save what I worked on for Paul's uh, work at Athens and Corinth uh, for this next month, and when I come back, I think it's the 19th, but one of the dates. <clears throat> I want to read a passage of Scripture to you first, and then I will move on into the into the sermon. But I want to uh, sort of give some perspective on what I want to talk about. Uh, if I were, were to entitle the sermon, and I, I do have a title, but there might be different ways to say it, I'm calling it The Great Misunderstanding. And uh, reading from Matthew chapter 27, verses 38 through 43. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling, hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is a king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. 
The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. You know, life is full of a lot of misunderstandings and misinformation. And, of course, what we've just read from the biblical text in Matthew's gospel, uh, he shows us several examples of the way in which people looked at Jesus. I think sometimes I would like to be there to sort of see what was happening, to get more understanding. And yet, on the other hand, I'm thankful I wasn't standing there. For that must have been a very, very difficult situation for his family, his friends. Because even what we see so often on the pictures is not all that was depicted on the cross. Because the fact is, the Romans had no interest in hiding anyone's shame or discomfort. They saw that as a premium, something to use to show that individuals were unworthy, that they were uh, people deserving of death. And so many of us in our efforts also have misunderstandings and something, sometimes we have rumors that might come against us. I don't know if you've ever had any, but I know sometimes people are maligned and bad things are said about them and mischaracters are made. But see, we're not alone. Jesus encountered far more. Uh, many of his people today less than 2,000, around 2,000 years ago, even failed to understand who he is and what he taught, the reason he came. We find Jesus on Palm Sunday around 2,000 years ago presenting himself to the Jewish people. Man, that was a triumphant time. I mean, finally we had come to this week in which the celebrations were occurring and the Passover was being conceived and people were uh, celebrating regarding... uh, the Jewish festival. And Jesus came on a donkey uh, rather than a charger, which is interesting because Solomon did the same thing, showing that he was a prince of peace too. And we find that in Solomon's reign, we basically had peace. And Jesus came across that uh, bridge that went between the uh, Mount of Olives and the Temple Mount in the Kidron Valley. And, And so he would have portrayed himself in a certain way and how did people understand him he was hailed as a king as a son of david and people were saying hosanna save us well they were anticipating one kind of messiah at that point they weren't wrong he was the messiah (laughs) just they had their timing off because he was coming back and he will come back and far more than on a donkey he will come back as a charger Someone actually they have been looking for. <laughs> Matter of fact, some of, the, some of the statements that are made by the priests and the leaders of the Jewish people at the cross of Christ and what they said about him will in fact be how he is. I think about Mark's gospel, Mark 14, when Caiaphas looks down at him and says, Tell us plainly, are you the son of the blessed one or not? Because he had been keeping his mouth closed pretty well. He didn't say much to Pilate. He didn't say much to the the, uh, incriminations that came against him and these illegal actions going on at the Sanhedrin during the night. But I like Jesus' comment then when Pilate said to him, uh, not Pilate, but Caiaphas said to him, are you the son of the blessed one? He said, I am. (laughs) And you, who are my judge right now, 
you will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of glory with power and great might. What he was telling uh, Caiaphas, you got me now, I'll be coming back as the final judge. And so Jesus is viewed a lot of different ways today. Uh, our society, which obviously is becoming less and less Christian, and we see a lot of things happening that disturb us. During the Christmas season is a time of celebration. And yet what you find is Jesus during the time of Christmas is not really properly understood. What I always think about when I teach on the question of what is the nature of Christ as one person in two natures, I said Mary, when she was holding that baby and rocking him and nursing him and taking care of him, that little baby at that moment was controlling the entire universe because he's one person in two natures. So he appears very, very weak, and yet he was extremely strong, omnipotent as he was. The concept is overwhelming to me sometimes. It's like when I was a kid, I used to try to think about the universe, and I kept trying to get my mind to get farther and farther and farther away, and you, you just can't get there, Infin infinity as it were. And so what you find is Jesus was far more than that baby in Bethlehem. <laughs> During the Easter season, there's also depictions of Christ. We find that usually magazines and newspapers, at least to this point, uh, mention things about the, Christ the Christian uh, ceremonies, the, the observances. And the fact is they'll have even books out, you know, something about Jesus at these, these various periods. But the fact is they really have very little understanding of what Christ is doing. Some see Jesus, by the way, as a social reformer. <laughs> that's been a view that's been argued a lot of times, in which the reason why Jesus came is to change the lives of people through his releasing them from the, from the evils that are coming against them and then slavery and so forth. Jesus is a social reformer to liberation theology, as it's called somewhat Marxism, quite honestly, if Jesus were viewed today in various groups that we see in the United States, they really are more Marxist than they are anything. They embrace liberation thought. Even the Pope has now gone that way. And yet Jesus, was he really a social reformer? Not really. He didn't lead, he didn't lead to some kind of charge against the Roman government or, or against the Jewish establishment. He did teaching, trying to change the hearts of people. Well, sometimes people see Jesus as a mystic. And I know in doing my book on world religions, a couple of them actually, <laughs> and when you talk about Jesus within certain settings, Jesus is a mystic. Some have even argued that Jesus, when he was younger, he went to the Far East and learned all sorts of things about Eastern mysticism. So he actually was going to come back and, and just work on introspection and uh, becoming one with the universe. And yet that's not what you see in the Gospels. Uh, a lot of people talk about Jesus. I, I wrote a book that some of you have seen called The Jesus Who Never Lived. To this day, out of 45 books, that is still my favorite. I got the idea of sitting at Caesarea Philippi thinking about Jesus and all the statements, whom do men say that I am? And, and I came back and I immediately wrote the book in a month. It was, just came out of me. And, and that's the one I enjoy because I'm saying so many people have views of Jesus. 
and yet they're not based on the only source that we really have, and as the Word of God, and particularly the Gospels. And so the fact is that Jesus is not going to be leading people in We Are the World, you know, singing the songs. Jesus did not come to try to act like that kind of Jesus. What we're going to find about Jesus is what we see in the Gospels and particularly what we encounter with the questions that are offered against him at the crucifixion. Like I said, the crucifixion is an event that I would like more understanding of. At the same time, it would be a very trying, difficult time to watch your Savior die. Uh, Resurrection sounds far better. But without this event that we're talking about, the resurrection doesn't make any sense. Matter of fact, for the same reason, if he were to die and the resurrection didn't happen, it wouldn't make any sense. You have to take Jesus as a package. You have to take him from what he came to do to what he did. And so you have to put it all together to get the understanding. We discover in this particular text in Matthew 27, 39 through 43, we find out how various people who were leaders of the people of Israel who should have known better. (laughs) It's amazing to me that sometimes the people that are supposedly leading the church or Christian movements or so forth are fairly inexperienced and, and not really knowledgeable about the Scripture. Uh, You'll see that sometimes in the kind of preaching that occurs where rather than dealing with the text and trying to explain the truth of Scripture, they're involved in a a sort of a hoorah kind of thing. You know, God loves you, let's all celebrate. And they speak in terms that are not really dealing with the integral and very sometimes difficult portions of the Scripture. Let's turn in the passage, if you'll look at Matthew 27, 20, 39, It says, those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads. I can almost visualize it. Just think about it. Christ has been, he's been put in a situation in which he looks very harmless. I mean, the fact is to be nailed to a cross in a Roman crucifixion was a very, very difficult time. The Romans were not interested in your comfort. They were not interested in your modesty. They were not interested in anything about you but to put you to death and to do it in the most difficult and painful way. And yet it was prophesied that he would be put to death this way. And they couldn't understand it. How could, if this man is the Messiah... Son of God, that he would experience this. And yet they were very much involved in making it happen, (laughs) the way they dealt with things. Notice the statements. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Now, first of all, Jesus never talked about, as John tells us in his gospel, that he was talking about destroying the temple standing there in Jerusalem. He was talking about the temple of his body in the future. So they did not understand what he was saying. 
But yet they ridiculed him and they wagged their heads and saying, you stupid idiot, or whatever they thought in their heart or in their head. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking with scribes and elders. Now, let's get to the chief priest. Who were the people that were officiating these false trials during the night but the chief priest? And they came out to watch. They came out to shout, victory, we won, when they didn't realize they've lost it all. Uh, It's amazing how perspective is. But he came with the chief priests and the elders, and they said, he saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe him. I doubt it. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. If he will have him, for he said, I am the son of God. And so the first thing we see when we look at this passage of scripture is that this is how they viewed Jesus, but they misunderstood who Jesus was. Let's take a look at these points. Verse by verse, some very significant things. If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. You destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself if you're the son of God. And then the other statement, let him come down from the cross. He saved others himself. He cannot save. If he's a king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. If he is the Messiah, let him deliver him. And if he's claimed this relationship, let God take care of him. The point of it is, they perceived correctly what was going on there and they actually stated the true statements about who Jesus was. They didn't believe it, but they knew what they were. They knew the claims, they did not embrace them. So there was a lot of misunderstanding then of what Jesus actually taught. You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself? Well, Matthew twenty-seven sixty-three says, Sir, we remember while he was still alive how that deceiver said, After three days I will rise. And so they knew what the teaching was. By the way, I've got to say something that's, that's fair to the story. And that is that even his disciples had difficulty with some of these things. Now, they weren't out railing and blaspheming and, and, you know, wagging their heads at the cross, but they had a hard time understanding this. But that's why, like in Matthew 16, when Jesus said, Whom do men say that I am? Peter ultimately got it right. But Jesus said, you know, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but came by revelation of the Father. You know, The fact is, these people, they were so hard in their hearts against Jesus, totally misunderstood what he was getting to. The fact is, let him deliver himself if he's the son of God. Wrong understandings even occur with Nicodemus. If you look in John 3, a misunderstanding until Christ spoke to him correctly. Now, another thing that was misunderstood about the idea of coming down from the cross. Why did he come to earth? 
let him come down. He saved others. He can't save himself. And you know, quite honestly, that's a good understanding because if he had saved himself, he couldn't have saved others. Now, they didn't understand what the statements were. They did not understand the ramifications of the statements. But when Jesus was on the cross and suffering like that, and they said he, he saved all these other people, let him save himself, let him come down, they were fully uninformed. They had not been reading their scripture right. Matter of fact, it really helps to read the scripture. Some of these guiders need to read it better. Because if they realized what Messiah was going to do, he was not coming to conquer at this time. He was coming to save his people. And the only way in which he could save his people as the king of Israel is that, in fact, he had to die. Um, I'm 75 now. Some of you are older, some of you are younger. But I think a lot more about death than I used to. I don't know if that's true with a lot of other people. But I think, you know, I'm three-quarters of the way. I'm thinking of my going to 100. <laughs> so I, I think I'm three-quarters of the way. But whatever the point of it is, nobody looks forward to death. Even Jesus in the garden said something. And I've struggled with that passage. Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Nobody with a good brain <laughs> wants to die. It's a, it's, a, it's a scary concept. Even though I believe with all my heart in the truth of the Scripture, and I believe that the moment of death, my friends who have, I've had several die during COVID who are friends of mine, they face death that I will also have to face. But what is, even my Savior had to face death. And it wasn't a pleasant concept. I wish there were another way. But there was no other way because he had to identify with the judgment of God upon the sinners of the world. You realize what happened at the cross? There wasn't a man just simply hanging up there like other people were hanging up there because with him hanging up there, he was taking on himself the sins of the world. That's quite different from what was going on with the robbers on either side. Jesus actually at that point on the cross was doing what was absolutely necessary and to do what was not comfortable as a human being to go through, but doing it because he was willing to do it for us. When I think about those, I just, it, it takes me back. It, it stuns me. It makes me think he did that for me. Did it for you. <laughs> I don't believe this for a moment. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. Not for a moment. Sin can blind us so much. They would have found some excuse, I'm sure. But the fact he wasn't going to come down. The fact is that unbelief... They are arguing is somewhat because Jesus not, has not sufficiently proved himself. Do you understand that? With all these comments that they've said at the cross, these leaders of Israel are saying, Jesus never proved his pedigree with us as Messiah. He never demonstrated that he truly is the Savior. 
They said he failed in his responsibilities to come through. And yet, when we read the Gospels, it's clear that he did all those things necessary to turn a heart that would be believing to salvation. We encounter the same thing today. There are so many skeptics in the world today. I come across ever so often when I'm looking for stuff on the Internet, these atheist sites. They they've basically go through the whole arguments that, you know, uh, everything that Christians say can be demonstrated as being wrong. They're as blinded as the chief priest and, and, the, and the scribes because Jesus proved himself repeatedly by prophetic fulfillment, by his teaching, by his attitudes, by his sacrifice. He proved himself to be who he was. And yet never so blind is the eye who will not see. (laughs) So you have this situation. There's a parable that's given in Luke that I think is apropos here. See, if a person will not accept the word of God, (laughs) the parable says about the rich man and Lazarus, because the rich man in the parable is saying, Abraham, Father Abraham, send someone to my brother so that they will believe and not come to this terrible place I'm in. I have to believe that's really a parable. I don't think anybody in conscious pain and fire and burning and agony has a rational discussion with someone for a moment. I think it's a parable that explains something. When Abraham says they have the scriptures, they have the law of the prophets, If they will not believe the scriptures, they will not even believe if one comes back from the dead. That's true. The death of Christ is provable. The resurrection is provable. The question is not the truth of the scriptures and the truth of the events. The problem is the heart of human beings who will not accept God's mercy and God's offer, who think they can do it all by themselves well this literally came true with the raising of lazarus remember the story of lazarus and i don't know why the things are together this way but when you read this parable with this person who died who's in abraham's bosom and you have this individual who's a rich man in in hell and burning and torment and the rich man's talking about what's going on if they really were going to believe scriptures, they believe it. And then you have a man by the name of Lazarus, who's a close friend of Jesus, living in Bethany, right over the hill of the Mount of Olives. By the way, if you go there, be careful. It's only one way in. There are no exits. You've got to go back the same way you came. And it's all Arab. <laughs> so you, you, you have this situation where... Lazarus came back from the dead, and what's the first thing the chief priest and the Pharisees and these individuals here that we see in the text, what was the first thing that came out of their mouth? Well, let's not only kill Jesus, let's kill Lazarus too because people are believing in Jesus because of him. That's not a heart that's open. If a resurrection would solve any problems, if a resurrection would would instill some belief if it would cause someone to come to accept Jesus. If it would work, we already have an example, which it didn't. So I'm not forgetting Jesus and his resurrection, but they couldn't even accept the resurrection of a man that everybody knew 
And it happened and they knew it happened and he's brought back from the dead and it didn't make a bit of difference to them. There's not faith in the heart. Oh, let him come down from the cross. We'll believe him. (laughs) Well, if Jesus had come down for them to believe, there would be nothing to believe in. (laughs) Because quite honestly, he would have trusted uh, their thinking instead of God's. What it says, he trusts in God, you know, let God deliver him if he says, I'm the son of God. Well, Isaiah 61 and also what we see in the cross, excuse me, what we see in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he says, I have come to do your will, O God. We've got to think about this in reference to us too. We have things that impinge on us as Christians as responsibilities. And sometimes we say, I want to go my own way. And so often we do. I am so thankful that Jesus did not go the way of the flesh. I'm not talking about a sinner. I'm just talking about the natural inclinations not to die. I think he felt that in the garden. He, he sweat. He, he, he cried out several times. He, he said, Father, is there another way? But there was no other way. He could have avoided it. But he knew the only way was through the cross. But you know what? God did deliver him. He snatched the victory of life from the jaws of death. (laughs) Interesting concept. Death could not hold him. He snatched from death victory, and that was life. Uh, In the midst of all these problems that occurred, a man by the name of Caiaphas, anybody of you have been to the museums in Israel, they have the bone box called an ossuary of Caiaphas with his name on it. Uh, he's a man that has Jesus in front of him that says, you know, you tell us, are you are not the son of the blessed one? When Jesus said, you'll find out someday. <laughs> he didn't find out in this life right now. But Caiaphas says it's better that one man die for the nation than the whole nation perish. And based on this, quite honestly, he was saying that we're going to sacrifice Jesus rather than have trouble with Rome. That's Because they were convinced, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, not so much the Pharisees, but the Sadducees who were basically the temple group and the leadership, they really did believe, I think, that Jesus was very popular among the common people, that Jesus might actually bring about a riot that would bring the wrath of Rome. And guess what would happen to them and their positions with that? I think they were really thinking quite a bit about the pocketbook, prestige, and also freedom and other such things. I think they were very self-centered in what they were doing. Well, Caiaphas said this, it's better that he die than we have this trouble. It didn't matter that it, whether he was guilty or not with these people. But you know what? Even Peter, before Jesus went to the cross, said, you know, Lord, let it not be. Not for you. When Jesus had taught them repeatedly he had to die, he said, no, that can't happen to you. Peter tried to keep him from the cross. Well, Paul the Apostle did understand. Paul said something very significant. He said, know nothing but Christ and him crucified. We have to put it together as Christians. There is no easy way. Now, I'm always wondering what exactly did Jesus mean when he said, if anyone follow me, he has to take up his cross and follow me. 
Now, the cross was not something to, you know, it was like a, not like an exercise routine, you know, all the weight. <laughs> the cross was a sign of death. You didn't carry a cross in the Roman world and you not be going to death. And so the fact is, Paul said, if I'm going to really understand Jesus, I have to understand that he died on the cross. Paul said another time that he's not, he's determined not to know anything but that. And God forbid in Galatians that I should glory except in the cross. Now we've got to put that together because in Christian thought, the death of Christ and the resurrection are one unit. That's why I made the points that I did earlier. You can't disconnect those. You can't have a resurrection apart from death. And if you have the death, you must have the resurrection. Jesus could not save if he had not come back from the dead. Paul said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross by whom the world has been crucified to me and I unto the world. You know, there's been a lot of distortions in our day. Uh, a lot of Christian churches are less and less committed through the essentials of the gospel. Uh, they've become more social, active. They've become more interested in feeling good. Uh, <laughs> sometimes people don't want you to make them feel uncomfortable. Uh, they're on television making millions of dollars as they smile and say, everything's great, God is good, your life is going to be great. When Jesus says something quite different from that, I don't see anywhere where Jesus says, follow me and I'm going to make it easy. Anybody seen that one? Follow me and I'm going to make it easy. Life is going to always go good. You'll have no problems. You'll have money in the bank. Everybody's going to like you. You know, follow me and you'll be a star. That's never is Jesus's message. Matter of fact, if I were a salesman, I wonder if I'd use this approach. Follow me and carry a cross. That would probably get a lot of people to buy your product. Do you think? That would be an attractive message. People want things their way. Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, you got to carry a cross like I did. Now, that's hard. I think about that some myself. Now, here I'm up here speaking and talking about these biblical passages and the ideas, but there are actually times I sit back and think by myself about the issues that the biblical talk, text talks about and the fact of how am I actually fulfilling my responsibilities. You know, Am I really willing to bear that cross? Am I willing am I willing to dedicate myself to be a follower of Christ? And uh, we get so embroiled in things in the world, we forget because of our jobs and our family and other things, we forget our personal relationships sometimes. And we forget that we've been called not to a life of fun and games, but to a life of sacrifice and death in some way or the other. I'm not saying everybody who's a Christian is going to die, but I know one thing. If you're a Christian, you must be willing to. And as the world becomes worse and worse, we have to be closer and closer 
to the Christ of Calvary. Um, what will be our response to what I've been talking about? See, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And a lot of this is because people don't want to understand because it would require something of them they don't want to give. I read some of these sites sometimes from people that are clearly against the Christian worldview because I have apologetic concerns about you know, ways of, of argument regarding the truth of Scripture. But you really wonder sometimes whether, do they mean really what they say? Uh, I've had friends whose children, even, you'd think they have, uh, they would be different. I have a, have a good friend for years ago who, uh, he his son pastored a very well-known church, fairly good size. And he abandoned the pulpit and denied it, said he was no longer a Christian, denied it. That's happening a lot of places where you have people that are well-known even who are not willing to embrace the truth of Scripture, find it too difficult, they don't want to believe it, and they abandon it. Now, we can talk about the question of apostasy and heresy and such like, were they ever believers or not. But the point of it is, it's not an easy road to be a Christian. Don't think that it is. Now, there are things that come with that are wonderful. There are wonderful things that come with being a Christian because we have hope of eternal life. That's a good deal. <laughs> eternal life <laughs> because we believe in Christ. Uh, and I know some people are looking for mansions on a hilltop. Uh, we can talk about that later. But the fact is that the key is that we're with the Lord. Uh, that's what the disciples were looking forward to. They weren't counting how many dollar bills they're going to get because they're going to heaven. They were thinking about being reunited with the Lord they knew. These people at the cross didn't understand Jesus at all. They had rejected the teachings of Scripture, which they should have known better. And they clearly misunderstood what Jesus was and what he did. Uh, now, I'm asking you to, in your life, Think through these things again. Uh, find out in what way can you be a better believer, a more faithful believer, uh, someone who is willing to follow in the footprints of Christ as a disciple of Christ. And that's my uh, word and my prayer for you today. Uh, the great misunderstanding doesn't have to be misunderstood because we have God's word to teach us through revelation. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that you have given us the Word of God. We would know so many of these things if, in fact, you did not give us your revelation. But we believe it to be true. We know that uh, you actually came not only to save us through the ways that many people thought, but to save us by going to the cross and then to the resurrection whereby we will be raised like into your likeness. Father, we're so thankful that you saved us by your grace, by your, by your work, and, and not by any works that we do, but by grace through faith and that which is not of ourselves, but the gift of God. We're just so thankful that it's not something we work for, but because we believe in you. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless each person here today, that they would benefit from understanding more in depth, uh, regarding uh, how people have misunderstood and why actually 
we can understand because of what you've given us, that we can know why you came and how you gave yourself and that you're coming again for us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.